Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This week on the Underpowered Hour, the Royals sell a Range Rover, rusty panels for your new Defender, the 2022 Range Rover is spied at the Nierberg Ring, we talk about PTOs, and everyone's favorite segment, Famous Land Rover Owner of the Week. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. All right, so Ike, this week uh, in Land Rover news, as you know, I am a huge fan of Royal Family Range Rovers that have recently come up for sale. And uh, it is that time of year again, this time, uh, Prince William and Kate Middleton's Range Rover. Uh, I believe this one uh, is like a 2013 Range Rover. So they've had it for a while. You know, it's got, uh, I think it's got about 40,000 miles, uh, give or take, on it, uh, is going up for auction. Uh, you can be the proud owner of a previously uh, of a previously owned by the royal family uh, Vogesi uh, Range Rover. It's a blue. It's like a blue color. It's that blue color that it seems all of the royal Range Rovers are. Like, you know, it looks pretty nice. You know, it's kind of a down the middle Range Rover, but obviously famous famous owners. Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't seen this particular car for sale, but obviously the royal family has a, a pretty. Um, Connected history with Land Rover and uh, Range Rovers in particular, uh, using their you know their that's kind of like the family car, right? The, yeah, the that's Range right. Rover. They're all Range Rovers. Yeah, so they love the Range Rover. This is like when your mom sells her old station wagon, and uh, you know all these weird people show up to look at it. Yep, uh, it's exactly right. I plan. I imagine that like uh, William's got it out in the driveway. And, like guys are like, "Can I stop by like on Sunday? I've got like a little bit of. T- I just want to come and look." And they're like, "They're gonna want to drive it around the block." And he's gonna be like, "Can I? I don't know. Can I get like a driver's license or something? Can I do something? You know?" And they're always weird about that. They want to do it, and he's like, "All right, just maybe just drive it around the courtyard here or our our posh." Uh, estate, you know, just just drive it around the estate grounds. They're like, well, I kind of want to take it on the freeway a little bit, you know. It's just a whole thing. It's really a nightmare. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing if you responded to the advertisement and they answered the phone. <laughs> the kids are in the background yelling, and they're like, I'm on the phone. Yeah, it's great. So, uh, who is who's got this vehicle up for sale? 
It is a Bonham uh, Bonham's uh, auctions in uh, the UK, of course, uh, and they've done lots of crazy Land River auctions back uh, over the years. Uh, they've done cool stuff, and they're expecting it to fetch anywhere between uh, about forty to sixty k, which coincidentally is about half. Uh, the the asking you know the the price of it new so obviously there is no royal appreciation there it is only depreciated uh, over those because I mean it's a pretty old car you know 2013 Range Rover is no spring chicken uh, although it only has you know 40,000 uh, miles on it so 38,000 some odd 38,420 miles on it so not that not that high mileage and you've got to think it's got to be a well cared for car right because they have I imagine a staff of Land Rover mechanics that. Uh, that, that keep that thing in, in top shape. Uh, hopefully all of them are big fans of the show. Now, uh, my understanding is that Land Rover provides the vehicles to the Royal family. Do you know if that's true or not? You know, I believe, and of course, the, there's like the famous thing where the very first Land Rover off, uh, the first production Land Rover was supposed to go to the king, and for whatever reason, they're like, no, 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 <laughs> don't give him that one, and and they sold it off, and then it finally sort of came around, whatever, but um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent, the new models, certainly, like uh, some kind of a, uh, a a demarcation point in a in a particular line, they'll like kind of give one to the royal family. I know, uh, famously, Prince Philip would get you know all kinds of different ones and obviously had a big affiliation with the military ones and stuff I, I don't know about this one I'm not sure if they bought it they sold it to a dealer and that dealer is the one that's now putting it up for auction so even if Landover gave it to, I mean I don't know you know I don't know uh, you know I think the one that you probably want to avoid is uh, what is it Prince Andrew you want to avoid his oh yeah yeah that's yeah you want to get no 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 Little day. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you don't want that right Nope. Well, nope. guilty uh, by association. I will be curious to see what this one brings. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, in other news, I know I, one of your uh, major concerns with the new Defender is that there is uh, not a lot of parts on it uh, that are able to get super rusty. Uh, because it is, uh, you know, unibody construction, lots of aluminum, lots of new plastics, new materials that are very corrosion resistant. Well, I'm happy to tell you that there is a firm, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Neil Von Raj, maybe is how you pronounce it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, designs. Uh, I'm sure if you search uh, rusty new Defender parts on uh, Google, you'll find them. That offers a line of rusty Defender, uh, new Defender parts, 2021 Defender parts. So if you wanted a set of uh, vents for the side of the car or a scent of uh, diamond plate uh, for the hood that were rusty, uh, they would be more than happy to provide them. Uh, so I don't know. You know, so look. So w- let me see if I can understand this correctly. You can get the, the plastic... Uh, like faux aluminum checker plate wingtop protectors, but faux rusty. I'm not sure if they're actually rusty or faux rusty, uh, but they are rusty. And they are, in fact, made of, of metal, but it looks like they're treated to get just the right kind of rusty. And then I imagine clear-coated so that the rust isn't disturbed. Um, and yes, you can replace this is the like, faux checker plate. This is this is like uh, Inception levels of, uh, <laughs> of fake 
materials on this car. It is uh, books uh, on tape, back on books, and then back on tape again. Uh, is sort of what it... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a circular kind of conversation happening. It's one of those books where they made the movie first. And then, <laughs> and then wrote wrote the uh, wrote the book based on the movie. So uh, you can get the side vent and the the checker plate on the on the hood. Yep, you sure can. Now I I looked and you can't get the uh, fender flares or the rear light surrounds, which are all after well not aftermarket. Land Rover sells a an additional plastic option for those areas of the car. Side valances you can get a you can get a little rub rail along the bottom of the doors, and you can get things on the rear uh, quarter panels where um, you know you could get some damage rubbing against things. Um, they currently only make side vents and uh, the the hood valences but hey the sky is the limit now like if for any reason rusty metal is not your speed don't worry they also offer aluminum <laughs> okay brass oh all right bronze uh-huh titanium zinc and finally and probably most importantly gold oh now we're talking i like yep. the gold option it's best because it's gold it's best because well they don't have chrome i'm surprised they don't have chrome well i think they're kind of looking for a market that's a little you know that's uh that's uh, slightly to the left of the chrome crowd maybe or the right or underneath i'm not exactly sure where it lies adjacent to the the chrome crowd but uh i mean hey i think the idea of making those parts out of a, aluminum for the purpose of ruggedness or function certainly makes sense i i can't imagine it's going to be too long until someone comes out with a real checker plate uh, for the hood valences. I think that's probably something that somebody's going to do. Um, and yeah, hey, you know what? I think if you're uh, entrepreneurial uh, yourself, uh, you could uh, you know cut out some metal uh, pieces that fit in those spaces, and then leave them in your yard for uh, a couple of weeks, and probably end up with something uh, similar to the fashion of these uh, rusty panels. Now they are they are kind of cool looking. I, I I joke that that it's a silly thing to have, and it is. But on the right color combination on the car, of which these this company also does custom wheels, they do custom paint. They'll go, they do a lot of you know very custom work. I don't know, a, you know, it, there was sort of a slate gray colored one with the rusty panels on it. It kind of looked cool. I mean, can you get a you know can you get a rusty signature panel? I if you can't get a rusty signature panel, I'm not interested. You know, I think or uh, or a signature panel that is an embroidered pillow, uh, a signature <laughs> panel that, uh, you know, that maybe has a uh, an insert for like a poster. OK, you can change it out to different things yeah. throughout the month. I like I it. think there's so many things you can do with a signature panel. Of course, there's also a company. I can't remember the name of them, but in the UK that has made a kit that deletes the signature panel. And I think well, you can buy you can buy the 90 there. without the signature panel. Yeah, without it. But the yeah, 110 can, is, can, is mandatory on the 110 mandatory on the 110 yeah so this company is has created a an alternative it's just that you know it's the same sort of thing as those giant windows that you can put over the entire back of your 90 where you can have it just like one uni window it sort of looks like bert's eyebrow just like one <laughs> uni kind of window um and uh and it's just i think it's i don't know if it's that company but it's a similar sort of thing where you just pop off the signature panel and you pop on these sort of glossy black panels and it sort of just looks like the window which to be fair is what is on the 90 the the panel's still there 
It's just a glossy black replacement. It's probably probably pretty handsome. Now, this uh, company that's making these panels, uh, my understanding is called Heritage Customs Valiance. And uh, I, I, have you seen the cost of the panel kit? I have not seen the cost. I stopped at Rusty Panels do you, for my new Defender. Do you want to... What are the costs? Do you want to guess? Is it uh, more or less than a slightly used Ehatsu Taft? Where does it fall on that on that scale? You could buy multiple used Ehatsu Tafts for the cost of the quote-unquote full rust conversion, which I thought all British landowners had. <laughs> Yeah, you just leave it outside, and it does the natural full rust conversion. That's actually built into the the product. Um, a lot of people have spent a lot of money preventing the full rust conversion from happening. Um, how much uh, is the full rust conversion, uh, Ike? It is uh, €12,475, which translates to about 15000 U.S. dollars. Ah, well, it, you know, to me, it's a bargain. Who At twice the price. price. On rusty Defender parts, right? You know? Let's... Yeah. Now, well, do you think this will drive up the general market for rusty Defender parts? Which I Got... can tell you is a fairly saturated market right now. So Yeah, I sure hope so. I'm going to be a millionaire if that's true. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the doggy coin of Land Rover parts here at this point. Hopefully that market goes right to the moon. And uh, yeah, I think we're both sitting on a treasure trove of rusty Defender parts. So, well, that's good to know. It's nice that there are things uh, happening out there, uh, alternative, uh, you know, sort of parts for your new Defender. Um, I was talking to somebody from the uh, Voyager uh, racks uh, last week. They've got some cool stuff. Like, there are lots of really neat new products for the new Defender. This is a new product for the new Defender. <laughs> you know, your, your mileage may vary, and I can't imagine that anyone who listens to this show makes those panels or uh, is interested in buying them, so I'm not worried about alienating any audience members. If you do, we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, come, on, uh, come on, talk about the Rusty Defender panels. Happy to have that conversation. We would love to hear from you, absolutely. Uh, have you seen the um, camouflage pictures of the new Range Rover? The upcoming yeah, Range I Rover. Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I've heard a little bit about it. I have. Uh, I've seen the camo pictures. A little hard. A little hard to tell exactly what's uh, what's going on there. But uh, what have you heard about it? Well, apparently it was cited doing like a speed testing at the Nurburgring, which I I just love saying that. Nurburgring, uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 at a sports track. Uh, you know, they're doing the road testing at this this uh, sports car track in Germany, I believe. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? How does that, you know, what how does that speak to the use this vehicle will will likely see? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, all all joking aside, I think the majority of the of the testing probably best done in the parking lot of a of a Costco. But uh, but honestly, uh, you know, I do think that the you know the high speed sport sort of 
you know, ultra luxury kind of appeal is really the market that the Range Rover services. I don't think anybody um, buys a new Range Rover to go and do any kind of significant off-roading. I do think, though, that people buy new Range Rovers to do things like tow horse trailers, tow boats, uh, you know, if they have a, you know, a, an estate or a ranch or something, I think that they they do get used. And, you know, they also get used a lot to drop people off at the valet. But they uh, they certainly, you know, there are people who use them in uh, in rural settings. Um, but more and more, I think the the Range Rover has become this kind of a sport, you know, truck, if you will. And that's a pretty important piece of the of the market. I think a lot of people buy them for the high performance, you know, sort of piece of it. Uh, you know, with the SVRs and things like that, they're leaning into the sportier, the more high performance, the more tuned. It's just hilarious because I was driving my Range Rover Classic uh, just the other day. Uh, and they've, they've come a long way. <laughs> they've come a long way when it comes to performance. Um, that no one would accuse that car of being a high performance uh, vehicle. It's super fun to drive. And still, you know, geez, now what? Uh, almost 50 years later is a really, you know, very or 40 years later is a really comfortable vehicle. Great performance. Great. You know, it's just like all around just a nice car to be in. And of course, the new Newest Range Rovers, Range Rover Sports, and things like that. Um, they are super nice and also very performant. You know, like they'll they'll go, and that isn't something that Land Rovers have been accused of in the past, certainly. So I think they're trying to take yeah. a little of that Jaguar DNA. I miss the uh, I miss the the less raked windshield. You know, where you yeah. you felt like you were yeah. part of the environment. I do miss that, but. Uh, you know, trying to make it uh, more aerodynamic, more fuel efficient, all that. I get it, but uh, man, I, I miss that uh, sort of distinctive, uh, more upright windshield and seating position where you you could see, you know, past the hood a lot easier than you can on the mm-hmm. current production models. Has more of a conventional SUV feel to it when you when you drive them, but uh, that's life, you know. Yeah, that's the march of progress, and people want the uh, you know people want a, a sportier car, a sportier option, um, and I think you know the Range Rover Sport, obviously the Evoque uh, and the Velar really service that market. They're specifically in that market, and and the large Range Rover sort of casts a little wider net. It's a little more towing capable it's a little more but you know everybody wants a sporty version of everything people want a sporty version of the defender you know there are plenty of uh you know professional basketball players and professional soccer players that want a very sporty defender uh, as well you know and the v8 i think will will probably satisfy uh, a lot of that uh, market so on to uh speaking of new cars it is uh it's a little tricky to build a new car uh, these days, and I'm sure uh, you've heard that the chip shortage uh, has uh, has affected uh, the whole industry in a pretty uh, radical way, so much so that Land Rover has recently had to shut down production of new cars because they don't have any chips. They have all the dip, uh, as I understand. There's plenty of dip, but they don't have, they have no chips, and so they refuse to work. Uh, unless there are, are chips and dip available. Yeah, uh, I believe the, the chip at fault is uh, called a semiconductor, and uh, they're used in pretty much every new vehicle. But, uh, you know, a lot of new vehicles are, are really, really heavily dependent on the technology. The newest Defender has uh, 
I think they, you know, somewhere between 82 and 86 computers uh, mm-hmm. that they advertise this vehicle having. And so I'm assuming each one of those needs a semiconductor. Um, semiconductor factories apparently have sort of transitioned to building, you know, higher tech chips that are that are more um more valuable you know they have higher margins Mm -hmm. on and so the ones that are used in automotive production are kind of not prioritized at least currently and so every manufacturer every automobile manufacturer every equipment manufacturer you know that use these type of chips they're really struggling to get cars on the road because uh but the availability is just not there. The supply chain has uh, broken down during uh, during the last year, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that carries forward. Yeah, that is a it's a huge issue. You know, it used to be that it was uh, you know resource scarcity around raw materials, aluminum, and things like that. And now you know it is. Uh, and and the funny thing is, is network switches uh, and things like that are also being affected by this same general chip uh, quote unquote shortage. And that's all again different scales of that same manufacturing chain. But it comes from a you know a base shortage in the raw the silica that goes into actually making the thing all the way through the distribution chain. I'm sure a couple of sideways boats in the Suez Canal didn't help that situation. (laughs) And, you know, now we're at the, you know, now we're at the point where, yeah, you know, the car production has stopped down and a lot of consumer electronics, uh, not so much consumer, but infrastructure electronics, like I said, network switches and things like that now are being uh, heavily delayed. So, you know, that's going to delay the rollout of everything from your, your office's new IT infrastructure to the rollout of things like, uh, you know, cellular networks and 5G and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's it's amazing how the little, you know, the little sort of, you step on a butterfly and uh, the next thing you know, nobody can make a car. So it's a, uh, you know, it's it's pretty interesting how it's all, how it's all interrelated. Yeah, I think that Land Rover has uh, ceased production in April in two of their plants or two of their factories. And so I can't imagine that won't affect their you know, sales if they can't produce uh, the vehicles to supply to their dealers. You know, one thing, uh, Ike, that doesn't need uh, any chips, uh, or or dip for that matter, uh, is the classic Land Rover's uh, ability to draw power uh, from the engine to do useful work around your home or farm. Yeah, and uh, this is a topic that I'm really excited about because I I like tractors and I like trucks and commercial vehicles and these sorts of things. And uh, as you know, the the Land Rover was originally intended to be, you know, uh, somewhat of a mobile power plant, a do anything vehicle. Anytime you needed, you know, power generated or air compressed or you know uh, things moved uh, with a stationary power supply. The Land Rover was envisioned to fulfill that role. And so as a result, they made innumerable accessories for the original series Land Rovers. And uh, I love to talk about them and uh, look at them and find them and use them. Uh, It's wonderful. One of my, I mean, I have, uh, you know, and obviously as do you and and many people, I have the drum-based PTO on my my Series 1. And uh, I have to tell you, it is amazing how 
you you know you look around on the internet you look for pictures of stuff how many useful things you can drive with that simple belt right it used uh you know sort of the twist belt that went around the drum and then you would drive another drum of a different appropriate diameter on uh whatever tool you were using and there's some great youtube videos of people uh using the table saw the table saw is my favorite because the blade on that table saw looks like it's about six feet tall and the guys are always like leaning face into it like it's a final destination movie um and it's cutting wood with this thing and the you know the engine will rev up as the saw bogs down and like it's just it's insane to watch but also like it's just magic like it's it's so cool to see that you know the little series one poking away in the background and of course they had pto all the way up to the last series land rover and even some of the of the defenders um later on were available with uh with uh pto uh options all the way up through um you know probably not the latest tdci defenders and things i'm not 100 percent sure probably they could probably make it work um but certainly the original series land rovers everyone one of them had, uh, you know, you had an opportunity to do it. Overdrive would sometimes delete it, but uh, you could have a, a PTO-driven uh, winch, and it was certainly very common on, you know, all the way up to Series 3. It was, it was very common to have a, a you know, PTO-driven recovery stuff. Yeah, I think there's, you know, they, they did have PTOs on uh, the, you know, for the LT95, which was used on the Defenders and Range Rovers. But certainly, you know, there was definitely a transition in how they envisioned the vehicles being used uh, with the Defender. You know, the, the PTO hole was deleted from the rear cross member. And I think that's a sign where you're like, OK, they definitely, you know, the, the emphasis is less on being a mobile power plant at that point. You know, when that was removed from mm-hmm. the Defender. But, um, yeah, they had uh, so many interesting accessories that were powered by these. And then, of course, conversions based on those accessories so you know they had hydraulic pumps that would mount to the transfer case uh either the back of the transfer case or the bottom and uh, those pumps would drive hydraulic circuits which could be used for cherry pickers or you know um in in some cases the uh the airport luggage carousels and Mm -hmm. and these Mm -hmm. sorts of things um but uh, also really really interesting conversions like uh, they would have generators that were mounted to the ptos and uh they had mobile cinemas there were two actually two competing mobile cinemas that were used on series land rovers and the generator would power the the projector and the speakers and these sorts of things. And they would drive to remote places and show them videos on health and other sorts of probably propaganda and these, these things. But uh, I think there was the, (laughs) the Cineroma was one. And uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was called. Um, Oh, it'll come to me, but uh, the Cineroma is definitely one. And and there must've been, they envisioned a pretty significant market if there were two, competing mobile Land Rover based cinemas. Uh, but that's, that's <laughs> definitely a favorite. I would love to see a, uh, a, a cinema Land Rover mobile cinema. That would be pretty cool. Um, they also had all kinds of compressors and one of my favorite advertisements for one of the compressors shows all the various things that you can use the compressor for. And they have like, uh, you know, jackhammers and, uh, uh, sort of like other farm uses like sheep shears and milk um, extractors, you know, a cow milker that would attach to the PTO would be uh, compressor driven. But my favorite has to be one where they're, they're using the compressor to power a paint gun and they're painting the Land Rover 
with <laughs> with the Land Rover. I uh, I think that's pretty great. We'll have to put a picture of that up on our Patreon. Uh, but that's a that's a fabulous use. You can paint your Land Rover with your Land Rover. It's nice because as it's you know as it's scuffed up in the field, it gets uh, damaged or whatever. You've got everything a full auto body uh, shop with you at any time to keep the Land Rover in. Uh, pristine uh, condition. Of course, uh, you uh, I know have like a uh, a PTO driven uh, ice cream churn for your uh, that's right size, uh, Land Rovers. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No. Uh, I you know there's a lot of like more domestic uses that uh, some enthusiasts have made for their Land Rovers over the last few years, and uh, uh, you know the the margarita mixer is a popular one, uh, which I'm pretty yeah, enthusiastic I'm build about. Build one of those for sure. Definitely yeah. would love to see that. Uh, there's a guy in Germany that has a uh, a meat and cheese slicer that that uh, mounts on his Land Rover, so he can have like charcuterie plates, you know, sliced up based on, or driven off the PTO, which I also love. But yes, I uh, to answer your question, I have a PTO powered ice cream churn, which is uh, fabulous. Uh, it takes. Uh, seven and a half days to set it all up and uh get it making ice cream but uh it's uh it's wonderful it really is pretty fun to uh to take to events and uh churn up some ice cream and uh you know people get really excited about that yeah and it has just the just the whiff of partially uh of partially burned gasoline uh which i think gives it that extra ta- you know the extra little <laughs> bit of uh, flavor uh boost that uh, that you you wouldn't normally get we uh, we really leaned into the theme, and we got some of those, uh, you know, the the little oilers that you would use for uh, oiling equipment, and we put, uh, you know, the toppings for the ice cream in the oilers. Mm-hmm. So we had like chocolate syrup and uh, and and strawberry sauce and these sorts of things, and we we labeled them ninety weight and ATF and all these. Yeah, nice, pretty nice, and and a little bit of just ATF as well got in there, and it was fine. Nobody <laughs> nobody complained. Uh, they're uh, expected to make a full full recovery. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to do it one of these days. Like I keep saying, I'm going to build a I'm going to build a a blender for the the PTO. You know, we were chatting the other night. We're getting ready here in Southern California for uh, our big Land Rover event, our first one in like two years because of the pandemic uh, this uh, summer. And uh, one of the things that we do is we do a giant raffle on Saturday night, and it's a big thing. People spend tens of thousands of dollars uh, on tickets, and uh, it's a big thing, right? It's a whole to do. Um, and the one thing that we always struggle with is the speed at which we can mix up the tickets, and more so the speed, the thoroughness at which we mix those tickets. There's always someone who is complaining about the thoroughness of our of our ticket mixing. So I had thought, you know, the perfect thing uh, to do is uh, to hook up a uh, ticket spinner, you know, the ticket drum uh, to the PTO uh, and just run that at high speed for a few minutes, get those tickets completely uh, mixed, uh, very much on theme. No one will be able to hear what's going on. Uh, I think that's the ultimate way to solve the ticket mixing problem is uh, do it by PTO. Uh, you better get the ratios right, otherwise you're just gonna shred all the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have the I have the mechanical governor on my uh, well, sort of. 
governor slash load uh, compensator, right? Yes. On my uh, on my engine, the belt driven one, and it's really cool. The idea is right. You're not supposed to be able to bog down. Now calibrating it is like one of those things where you know if the wind is blowing in the correct direction and you're standing in just the right place and you've got you know you can sort of magically make it synchronize and it, and it starts to work. Once it's calibrated, it actually works pretty good. But um, but I've never been able to put enough load. I mean, all I can do is like grab the drum. Don't do that. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. And you know, doesn't really seem to do much. But uh, but yeah, I'm hoping a ticket spinner, a high torque uh, ticket spinner. Um, you know, or maybe like a, a human sized hamster wheel that could be fun for the kids. <laughs> throw them on, throw them on that, and just let it go around a little bit. Uh, you know that that could be a fun. Uh, you know, Ferris wheel in general, right? If you got the gearing right, you could you could sort of drive anything you want. So it would be a bit of a slow moving Ferris wheel, but could be fun. You know, you could do that. Stephen Barris is a carny, apparently at heart. Yeah. That's right. That's right. A Land Rover PTO Kearney. You know they have their own language, right? Yeah, you know I've heard that. I don't. Uh, I'm from uh, you know Calgary, where there's a thing every year called the Stampede, which is a big rodeo and midway. And so, you know, in mid July in Calgary, every year from my entire life all these carnies kind of show up and like inhabit the town. And so you get a lot of uh, weird carny stuff, you know, especially you work in restaurants or something. You get a lot of carnies coming in. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. Everybody's dressed like a cowboy and the town is full of carnies. So, you know, <laughs> it's worth checking it out if you happen to find yourself in Calgary in hey, July. do we have time for a famous Land Rover owner of the week? I think we have just enough time, Ike, for what is without question everyone's favorite segment, Famous Land Rover Owner of the Week. And Ike, who is this week's Famous Land Rover Owner? Well, I uh, spun the Wheel of Fortune, and it landed on Robin Williams this week. Robin oh. Williams, yeah, yeah. Pre- one of my favorite Land Rover owners, and uh, definitely uh, an entertaining fellow, and uh, had, a, had a series, uh, no, no pun intended, of different Land Rovers throughout the years. Um, yeah. You know, I think initially he he had a Series Two A eighty eight that mm-hmm. uh, that he drove around the Bay Area prior to his breakout role in in Mork from Ork. And uh, a, a guy I met who used to uh, work on Series Land Rovers in California, he he told me that uh, that he had worked on that particular vehicle. I'm curious uh, what happened to it. I wasn't able to find any pictures of this car, but yeah, uh, nor was I. Yeah, he, he definitely had one. He uh, famously was interviewed when he landed his role on uh, on Mork for Mork, and they, they asked him, they said, uh, hey, now that you're a, uh, a famous television star, are you going to, you know, are you going to buy a, uh, a new Mercedes or a Rolls Royce? And uh, he, he replied, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to keep my old Land Rover, you know, um, it's just like me. You never know what it's going to do, which I, uh, I always love that quote. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. And then later on he had, uh, a NAS 110, right? I imagine he bought a new 110 when they were available here for that short window. Yeah. You know, I think he, uh, obviously his career ramped up and he was doing some, some pretty big motion pictures around that time. And, uh, he got himself a, a NAS 110 and there's some th- some photographs of the paparazzi kind of harassing him and he's uh he's driving that car but I think he had that for a while as well. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder where either of those uh, those cars are. You'd think the 110 would be a little bit easier to track down because they're numbered, and if somebody knew what number his was, you could maybe know someone that had it. But uh, yeah, so many amazing old series cars owned by a whole variety of different uh, celebrities, right? And when you find them, it's such a neat opportunity, especially if they haven't been restored or anything. It's just kind of a cool time capsule back to you know that person. And and uh, can you imagine uh, you know dri- driving a, a series uh, Land Rover around, uh, especially downtown San Francisco, like you know known for their great brakes and easy to shift transmissions. Uh, the uh, you know on the hills of San Francisco, that'd be a, that'd be a lot of fun. No doubt, no doubt. Well, I had a lot of fun this week, Stephen. Uh, thanks so much for uh, chatting with me about Land Rovers. Looking forward to next week. It is a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll see you soon. Good luck and uh, stay safe. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 